a, a, a good kind of piece of advice is always to focus on, firstly to focus on prevention, which is putting the contract in place. But if that hasn't happened, then focus on settlement rather than going to court, because going to court is expensive it's, and it's risky. You know, you might have the strongest case, but there's always a litigation risk that something's going to go wrong. Hello and welcome to How Not to Run a Business with me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, a podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to work for themselves. Each week, I bring you real, honest, and down-to-earth conversations about success, failure, and how not to run a business, all in service of you living a life you love and achieving your version of success. Welcome to episode 33 of How Not To Run A Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, and I hope you're doing very well today. So this week's episode is a conversation with a subject matter expert. So as part of my effort to help educate all of us and to make these episodes a bit more factual, I sat down with Alvin Itu from Acumen Business Law, and we talked all about contracts and disputes. I mean, what a riveting subject some of you may think, but very, very important in business. One of the things that I bang on a lot about, including finance, which potentially makes me quite dull and boring, and it might turn you off, but the fact of the matter is, and the reality is, if you run a business, you are going to come across disputes. It's one of the things that causes a lot of headaches for people, and one of the ways of getting around that is to have contracts in place, and agreements, and fun things like that. So I wanted to talk to Alvin about his views on it. He works for Acumen. He is an expert in this area and asked some common questions that you may have or I certainly had, which is things like, do we actually have to have a contract? Are verbal contracts okay? Is it okay to take uh, what are called boilerplate contracts off the internet or go and steal them off someone else's websites and just rehash them and put them in for yourself. Uh, lots of questions like that. So I won't say any more than that because um, it was a really fun and interesting conversation. Alvin is a very wonderful guy I've known for many years. So we had a great conversation and I know you will learn at least one thing from this episode, if not a lot. So if it contracts and disputes are an area which you don't know a lot about then make sure you have a good listen take some notes and enjoy so now it's time to sit back relax and enjoy so i am here with alvin from acumen business law thank you for joining me today alvin how are you yeah i'm good thank you very good cannot complain how about yourself Fabulous. I'm very well, thank you. Good to see you. So um, I have been on your website and I've, uh, on the Acumen website, uh, having a look at your bio. So you are uh, heading up the uh, corporate commercial department at Acumen Business Law. How long have you been with uh, Panina and the team? Uh, I've actually just celebrated my 10-year anniversary uh, a couple of uh, Amazing. weeks ago and uh, got sent on holiday by the firm for, for that as a little celebratory oh. present. So yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason for going to work for Agamemnon. Yeah, exactly. Holiday, it wouldn't be working for 10 years. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I, I know Panina very well. And I've worked with my previous business with Acumen. So um, it's it's great to have you uh, here today. We're going to be talking about um the law and all that sort of stuff but we'll try and keep this conversation as exciting as possible because i know i don't know do people do people have a have a view of solicitors is this are they same as accountants i don't know is that in your experience no i think it is and and they range from the very kind of stuffy corporate kind of view uh to suits and people just think it's one of one of the two uh when actually the truth is probably more in the middle somewhere yeah and you and you know you uh, i know everyone at the or most people from the acumen team and you 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 guys certainly buck the trend in terms of uh being a very different organization i'm right in saying because uh panina said when she set the company up she wanted to do things differently and i think what i really like about acumen is that when a lot of people think of solicitors we think of hourly rates and how much are going to be charged and it's very expensive but acumen's not like that is it no not at all i think when when we were set up the whole idea behind it was to break the mold and that was what panina set out to do uh so as i mentioned earlier the kind of stuffy corporate perception of solicitors we wanted to move away from that so you know much more approachable uh you know 
uh, every client has direct line to their solicitors and their mobile numbers and all that kind of thing. And on the, the charging front, as you mentioned there, at the time, it was quite revolutionary because we, we moved away from the hourly rate and we went to a fixed fee mm. charging structure for all non-contentious matters, which was, you know, kind of really innovative at the time. Um, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and that's, that's what's sort of been the, the cornerstone of the firm, really. Yeah, no, it's really good because you know, you know, if you want to go and have uh, an employment contract written up or um, staff handbook or something, you've got a fixed fee. You're not going to be charged any more than that. Obviously, if it gets super complicated all of a sudden, then that might change. But you've got that fixed fee, which I think is really great, particularly for small businesses um, and solo entrepreneurs. Um, and that's who you know we're talking about today because that's the the focus of this podcast. So that's something that I've always really liked about about the firm. So um, we're going to talk about contracts and disputes today. And I think the most important thing to start off, because you're the expert, right? I have my own experiences running my businesses and contracts and whatnot. So I think it's important to start off by thinking about when we talk about contracts. So the aim of this conversation is to talk about what things people who are running their own businesses, particularly small businesses and solo entrepreneurs, need to think about when we're looking at things like contracts and disputes. Um, and so we 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 spoke before we came on about, well, what are we talking about with contracts? Because that's a very broad subject. And I know we said that we we're gonna we're gonna take out employment contracts and employment law because that is such a unique discipline. But let's think about well what do we when we say contracts i mean i guess let's hear from you when we think about contracts there's quite a broad range yeah indeed, um, indeed. and things that come up for small businesses yeah definitely and I, I mean for any business you know there's there will be a number of contracts that will be involved in business and you may not even realize it so the obvious one is you know you you, you sell things to your customers and sometimes you might have terms and conditions or you might sign a contract and that's really obvious then there's a contract but actually any transaction you enter into is potentially subject to a contract now that contract may be unwritten it may be implied by law or implied in some other way um but essentially you know every transaction has that potential to have a contract so customers being the obvious one dealing with suppliers and even you know if you own a business with multiple partners whether that's a partnership or in company as shareholders even between those parties they, there could be a contract there as well um so mm. and you mentioned employment law and and there are many others so in a broad sense really what a contract is is an arrangement where one party is agreeing is agreeing to do one thing in return for something else from the other party um and you'd be surprised you know some people don't always always realize it but if you're going to buy a mug from a shop that's actually a, a contract it's obviously a very simple contract but it's a contract nonetheless. Mm. Okay, so I guess if so, my my mind has just gone like boom, uh -huh. and like loads of questions because, um, and I want to try and keep it quite narrow and not go off sure. on lots of tangents. But you're at, so that's a really good explanation of what a contract is. So when I go into the into a shop and I purchase a product, I am effectively in contract with that with that um, supermarket, for example. Would that be fair to say? Yeah exactly that and as i say it's a very simple contract because it's performed then and there you're by you're offering oh, yeah. either whatever the product is and you know, for a certain price and you're paying the price and you're taking away the the item and and it may be that what you're buying has some kind of aftercare you know if you're buying I don't know, something uh some technology or something there might be some kind of aftercare that comes with it but essentially it's a really simple contract it's just yeah uh, purchasing something in return for, for value okay so and then I guess what you also said about in other contracts implied by law. So I'm just going to use the example of purchasing, purchasing as a consumer something from, um, let's just say, for example, a supermarket. Um, there's there's laws that are exist and uh, protect the consumer that are kind of implied. So I guess from a business, small business perspective, there would be laws that that we may not know as business owners exist, but actually do exist, if that's right. I think I'll give you an example and tell me if I'm going down the right path. If you're, you have an e-commerce store and you're supplying, you're sending product out, there's consumer protections in place that mean that if the customer wants a refund, legally you have to supply it 
or give it back rather or to give a refund let's say so that would be something that someone may not think about when they actually launch an e-commerce store but that law exists that and they you know there's certain things that the uh, the business has to do in return for if there's a problem with the customer if that makes sense yeah no no exactly yeah. that um actually it's one of the things that often clients kind of overlook especially when they're dealing with consumers because there's this whole body of consumer law and it's and it's vast and it's really complicated uh, you know to get your head around um but in a nutshell as you've said you know there are certain rules which govern for example downloading stuff you know like um, digital content uh, e-commerce where it's distance selling um or even you know buying things like package holidays there's different kind of rules for different types of industry um and yeah essentially you have to be kind of um, compliant with that consumer legislation as well as if you have kind of your own standard terms and conditions so you know you see it all the time where you purchase something and it click here to accept now there may be some terms and conditions there but in addition to that there are certain consumer protections which are incapable of being um excluded and you have to kind of be aware of that because they are implied by law that's what we mean by implied by law and even in a b2b sense uh, there are certain uh, laws and certain regulations which are also implied by law, although you have a lot more flexibility to potentially exclude them. So things like, for example, mm. sales of goods, if you're, if, even if you're selling to in a B2B context, it may be that those, uh, those kind of provisions are implied by law. And certainly if you don't have any written contract, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to be subject to this kind of implied contract that's, that's put in place by law and common law at courts and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's something that I know from myself in my experience of running my businesses, but I've seen clients that I work with and people that I've mentored in the past where they've been tripped up by this because they're not aware. But as you say, there's so much out there and it's near impossible to expect someone who's running a business by themselves to know all of that. Obviously, that's why we have solicitors exactly. and lawyers like yourself yeah. to, to help um so uh so you know we let's not go down that road um i am interested because you know we 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 i don't know i'm not sure if you do this but certainly i know i never read the terms and conditions <laughs> you know you're just like you might sk skim through them and there could be all kinds of things written in it's only when there's a problem that you then go back to them and go ah okay, actually, I don't have much legal recourse here because that's, you know, I've ticked to say that I've read it and I haven't. And that's going to be quite a common problem, isn't it? It, it is, it um, is. I mean, obviously, as a, as a lawyer, I always, always in my personal life read the terms <laughs> and conditions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but you're completely right. You know, there's, there's all, you know, we all do it. We all tick that box, except, yeah. and, and, you know, without reading. And, and yeah, there'll be loads of things in there. And obviously, if the business has protected itself well, there'll be some really key protections in there that you probably want to know about. But um, yeah, it's always it's always the way that that uh, if you if you have that kind of setup, there'll be lots of things often go unread. But from a business's point of view, because they've got that there, they're they're protected. Um, you know, it's our yeah. fault for not reading okay. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's focus. Let's keep it focused on. I think pro primarily B two B. So. Um, you know, it, if you're if you are listening and you do have a consumer brand uh, or you're selling to consumers, then there's going to be a whole world of of potential pain of laws and uh, things that you need to think about. And I think what we will talk about can probably be applied to both. Mm -hmm. But um, I wanted to really focus in on contracts but also disputes, and that's often when you get into trouble with a customer whether that's a well it could be a consumer it could be a business but i'm interested before we go down that path to just come back to what you said earlier about um implied or verbal and unwritten contracts now that interests me because how how do you prove you know if you say can you say more about what how that works yeah of course of course i mean this is a scenario we see all the time it's it's so common so Obviously, the ideal scenario is you have a lovely set of standard terms and conditions that have been drafted and it's signed and everyone knows where they stand. That's the ideal. But we know that that's just not the case. And, and actually, we say this to our clients a lot. We get we understand why. You know, if you if you just started a business 
the last thing you want to be thinking about is terms and conditions. You want to be getting out there and building the business. So we get why. So then the, to answer your question of how you prove it, then it becomes quite murky and, and, and the waters become quite muddy. And, and obviously, all the while things are going well, there's no problem. As soon as things go wrong, then you have to look at the discussions that have taken place. You know, have you sat down and had meetings and discussed key terms during that meeting? You have to unpick emails. You have to look mm -hmm. at other kind of representations. And, and you know, has there, have there been multiple people talking? You know, maybe there's two people from one company and two people from another company, and you're not privy to all the conversations. And what you need to then do is take all of that and decipher what has been agreed from that. And if that's obvious and if you can prove it, then you with that as the basis for your contract. In addition to that, you then have to look at the law. So are there relevant statutes that imply kind of standards of care or, or, or kind of quality uh, standards? So you then look at all of that, you put that together. And most of the time this involves a dispute. So you then go in front of a judge and the judge will essentially decide what is the minimum I can imply to give this contract business, what they call business efficacy. So in other words, what can I do as the minimum to make this work as a commercial arrangement? And once the judge ascertains that, <clears throat> that's the contract that will be implied, if you like. Um, right. Okay. And that's, well, as you can imagine, that's why it becomes really, really messy, um, you know, and really, yeah. really kind of cool to, you know, at what point was the contract formed and what, what, what was part of the contract, what was just negotiation. And there's a legal term called mere puff, you know, like marketing and, and kind of that, that thing that you say to, to big up your product. So what was mere puff and what actually was a commercial and legal term that you've agreed? Okay. Yeah. Right. So that sounds expensive and painful. So we want to avoid that at yeah. all costs. So I think number one mistake that people make, and I'm maybe putting words in your mouth, is uh, not writing stuff down and having a formal contract and expecting that. Oh, I've emailed them. I've said this. I've said that. Would that be a fair? Yeah, I think. I uh, think so. Assessment of what you said. Yeah, about? I think so. I think so. Definitely. I think you know the. the number one mistake is not having not having terms and conditions because they contain so many protections around payment you know exp um, limiting your exposure to liability protecting your intellectual property they contain so many things that we can obviously talk about uh, later on yeah but even then you know okay fine i can understand a situation where maybe you can't for whatever reason budget doesn't allow or or as i said you're just too, you're excited about your business and you want to build your business so then not having anything in writing at all, you know, at the very least, you know, having an email thread will make that process a lot easier as opposed to just having a chat and shaking hands or, or writing it on a piece of paper and losing a piece of paper. So what I would say is, you know, definitely get a contract. If you can't or if you're in the process of doing it and business continues, then it's always worth confirming things with an email thread because at least then you can refer to that and say, well, look, we emailed on such and such date saying this. Um, that would at least yeah. give you a bit of an easier time in, in formulating that implied contract. Okay. Yeah, that was one of my questions as I was preparing for this conversation was, what can people do? Because as you say, and the thing I just want to reference and what I really like about you and also the company you work mm. for, Acumen, is the um, approachability and the sense of not feeling judged because we can so we're human and we all do it and mm. i love what you said about you know we know it happens and being able to approach someone when you're in uh when you're you know you're in a uh, sticky situation there's always or can be that sense of oh, i don't want to i don't want to admit that i've done this and so that's why i really like about you know acumen and what you guys do mm. is that you're approachable and it doesn't there's no sense of judgment because you've got to at some point go somewhere and get some help and some people can be put off by by thinking oh, i should have done this shouldn't have done that so i think what you said about getting stuff written down emails um confirming as much in writing you know if you've had a meeting with someone i always like to send an email afterwards confirming what we've said um is is very useful if you aren't at that position where you can you know go and go and get terms of terms and conditions um set up yeah. so very uh very useful to know that um so 
so we've so we've so getting stuff written down is really important ideal world getting a contract in place so in terms of um you've mentioned some different things like shareholder agreements but let's focus in on contract with your customer and then you mentioned a few bits and pieces that would often be in there so protection around intellectual property and protection against liability so can we talk a bit more about let's start with intellectual property so um what what would generally be in a contract that would help protect you when you're working with a potential customer yeah sure so i mean you know these days as, as you you probably know and loads of people you know will understand intellectual property is so important it's it's a big part of the value of any business it's you know, it's, there's so many businesses now, Airbnb, delivery, which are just intellectual property based businesses. It's, it's such a key thing. And, and as that's developed in time, you, you need to really look at how that's protected. And it will depend on the type of business, but some businesses are really intellectual property heavy. So, for example, we worked with a great uh, marketing company and we've assisted them with their terms. And a key thing for them is protecting their IP because they have people mm. creating content for their for their customers they have people creating code for their customers and they will use certain you know they, they may well use certain kind of um, elements of code which they want to retain for their own ownership and naturally a customer hiring a marketing company will want to own the intellectual property so what's really important in that scenario for example is setting out who owns what so we retain things that we've created because maybe the, the marketing company will reuse that uh, but you know you own the kind of end product so you would have really clear provisions in there to explain who owns what at the end, at the end of the day, you know, we retain this, you have that and, and, and all that kind of thing. But as well as that, it also protects you from a, the point of view of, of third party intellectual property. So maybe you've got licenses to use certain other things and it makes it very clear that we're using this under a license and you've, you're going to have a license, you, the customer are going to have the license. Um, but you can't infringe that because that's a third party intellectual property. And if you infringe it, then it, it comes mm. back on us kind of thing. So those are some examples mm. of ways that you, you kind of protect that intellectual property. And the reason, so it's important, first of all, just to maintain the integrity of intellectual property, maintain the value. It's also a useful tool as well. So another another company, uh, marketing company that we work for, um, they have similar kind of provisions around intellectual property, but also the ability that to, to retain that in the new the deliverable intellectual property that you're creating to retain it until they've been paid for their mm. service so we, we had another client which was also a marketing company again with similar intellectual property protection in there so in other words protecting their own intellectual property and transferring the end product to their customer but the what we what we did in that was in, maintain that that intellectual property the new intellectual property that's being transferred only transfers once their fees have been paid in full the marketing agency and that's a really okay. good protection and really good leverage actually for and and there was a case where a customer didn't uh this didn't pay uh, started refusing to pay and we were able to use that as leverage to to, to settle the deal and get them to to pay the invoices so it's as i say it's protecting the integrity of the intellectual property but also then you know what happens to it and the, the kind of commercial commercial element of selling it on kind of thing to i mean um so so you know and as i say it will depend on the business so there'll be other scenarios where you as a as a, uh, a supplier want to just make sure that um you know you're you're not going to be in breach of anyone's intellectual property so you'll put provision in there to protect you there so there's, there's all there's all kinds of different protections that would be in there depending on the business but without without that and without having that in writing you potentially leave yourself at risk um the only other thing i would just mention is just on the flip side as well if you're a customer and you're you're being supplied marketing services or something that's intellectual property heavy again unless it's unless there's a term assigning that intellectual property transferring ownership of that intellectual property to you in writing you could pay a million pounds and you don't legally own it um so that's the kind of flip right. side of why you'd want something in writing as well a proper mm. sort of contract in place um yeah okay yeah, I, th I was thinking actually from um, when I had talking about a physical, when I had my food manufacturing business and um, I have to dig out the, I, I haven't thought about this for a few years, so I can't remember the terms, but like who owns the product when it's delivered? So we had terms and conditions that said we own 
the product until you pay for it. Mm. So I can technically come and get it back if it's in your warehouse. Well, maybe not force my way in, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's legally, it's still my hours. Yeah. And I think it's raises an interesting point with service-based businesses because you're not, you don't have a physically tangible product, but if you think about, I, I'm going to have a go at this and you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong. Mm thinking about ip as almost like a physical product and and someone owns something so that's a really good really good point actually if you have a service-based business having those protections and also i've made a note of that around payment of you know it's a user as a tool as well yeah um because i i'm gonna go on a slight sidestep now and and think about what are the most common things that you see coming up in disputes around contracts and in business because you mentioned payments sure. and that's probably one of the biggest i don't know if i'm right or wrong but yeah yeah no you're completely right i mean non-payment is is obviously a big one and that ranges from you know non-payment in itself is quite a broad topic it can be people who just aren't paying they're not contesting anything but they're not paying they're still in breach of contract but they're not they're not arguing or saying that you've done anything wrong they're just not paying and it can range yeah. all the way up to people who feel they're justified in not paying because they're saying, well, look, you haven't done X, Y, Z, or you, you know, you didn't do this properly or whatever it is. Um, and again, the, you know, the theme is that your contract can protect you in that scenario. Um, you know, yeah. there, again, there's many, many different scenarios, but they'll, they'll, you know, your contract will probably contain terms around what you actually have to do to be paid, what standards that work has to be at. Um, if if the work is not up to standard, the process, so that process may not be just withholding payment. It may be you have to come allow us a chance to, to fix it. Um, but yeah, non-payment is obviously a, okay. a really big, a really big dispute, uh, dispute topic. You often have things around, as I say, the standard of work. So it may not be that there's, a, uh, there may not be a non-payment element to it, but it may be that you've already paid, the customer's already paid, and you, and now they're contesting that you haven't done something properly or the product they've bought is not fit for purpose or, or whatever you know that may be okay um and then another really common dispute and actually this is a so we said earlier kind of mistake number one is not having terms and conditions but i would say a close second is a common dispute topic is where you have terms and conditions you've taken the time mm -hmm. to get them drafted and put them in place but they're not used properly mm -hmm. so they're not they're not presented right. to the customer at the right time or there's scope creep because it hasn't, you know, the scope hasn't been set out properly. That's a really common thing I, we see where, you know, Pete, uh, our clients say, well, we've got terms and conditions, but maybe those terms and conditions were on the back of an invoice rather than provided at the beginning. And, and what you should be doing is your terms should be provided before or at the point of contract. And the point of contract is basically the moment at which the contract was formed. So if you've already formed a contract, you've already provided your services, and then you attach your terms to the back of the invoice, that's obviously far, far too late because the point of contract was way back when. That's a really common scenario mm. we see, and it's, it's all about what terms are then incorporated as part of the as part of the agreement, as part of the contract. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know for myself when I early days of our business, we would we we didn't do the follow the process uh, correctly. So. So, and I see that happen and I've seen it happen many times. So, so number one kind of mistake that people make is not having any contract written. And then number two is not enforcing that or not making sure that it's done it. It's, it's signed or agreed in a way that protects them. Because if I'm correct in saying the, the gold standard would be you have a conversation with a customer you agree to work to each other, then before you do anything else, they sign your terms and conditions. Would that be? Yeah, that would the be the, the kind of ideal. Ideal scenario. So tick for me, because now with my clients, I don't engage with them and that when nothing happens until they sign my terms and conditions and they're sent back to me. But as we know, we're human and sometimes that doesn't happen. So I see people they'll send the terms and conditions to the customer attached with an invoice. The customer has never signed them. Does, does they, do they have any protection if, if they've sent the terms but never got them signed? Yeah, definitely. So I think, as you say, the gold standard there is 
send them, get the sign, then start doing the work. You don't always have to do that. And and often what we what we have is people say to us, well, look, I, I don't want to block the sale. I don't want to kind of make the sale difficult. And if I, if I present like this pack of terms and conditions to them, you know, commercially, it's going to be a killer, even though legally it's the right thing to do. So you don't actually have to necessarily kind of present them to them and get them signed. You can you can incorporate them by reference. That's what we call it. So you can basically say, look, here's here, and and this is something we do for our clients all the time. Here's a kind of one pager with all the key information in. Uh, it it mentions the terms and conditions. It says they're here on our website, or you can access them wherever. And then you get them to sign that, and then you're 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 protected then because you've you've referenced your terms and conditions. Now, as we said earlier, we, we tick the box and say we've accepted it. If they haven't gone and read it, that's kind of their problem. But you have told them yeah. very clearly our terms and conditions govern this relationship. Go and see them on our website. They've looked at this one page with their name and the product and the scope, and they've signed it. So that will also protect you. Or the, the other scenario, which I think you alluded to a minute ago, was where it's just not signed at all, um, and you just present it. But even in that scenario, if it, I would say, if you've given them a one page or whatever, referencing your terms and conditions, all the information in, and they just haven't signed it, but they've given you instructions to go ahead, and they're acting in accordance with the agreement, because you have done that first step, you're probably you, you're okay because you you've made it very clear to them what the terms are. And you know, we're going back right back to the beginning when we said you've got to look at all the discussions and stuff. It's very it's very simple. This is the contract. Now mm -hmm. you haven't signed it. Signature in itself isn't illegal, isn't the, the kind of be all end all legally. But you've acted in accordance right. with our terms. You know, you've given me instructions to do the work that's set out in the scope or whatever. So you've acted in accordance with it and therefore you're protected. So yeah, gold standard, get it signed, but then there are other kind of variables on that which will be as effective legally. Okay, so if you, I know, I know, really um, get what you said about this friction of getting someone to to start working with you and suddenly putting like uh, a term, a huge document in front of them and saying read and sign this. Yeah, reality is that that's sometimes going to be a challenge. So referencing either getting them to sign a one pager that says here's a summary of it or here are our terms. I guess like when you go onto a website and you and you place an order. It will say tick to say, and they might have a summary. Yeah. It's a similar sort of thing. Exactly, if you yeah. can get them to sign something saying, so for I'll use my, me as an example. I have what's called an order form, which outlines the work that I'm going to do and what's being agreed. Currently, I don't actually have anything. So if I put on there, tick to say you've read and understood the terms and conditions, and then they sign that, that would be almost as good as them physically signing a terms and conditions document. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I, would that be fair? Yeah, I'd say it would be as good. I mean, that's what we do that because we have this conversation with clients a lot, the whole the whole commercial versus legal, you know, we want to sell this product or whatever. Um, what we typically do is exactly that. So we prepare what we call it a booking form. It can be called an order form or whatever you want. And as I say, that has all the variables. It has the scope. And it has things that maybe on occasion for certain clients, you may want to vary from the standard terms and conditions. So payment terms is a, is a classic one. Your standard terms and conditions say 14 days payment terms, but you've negotiated with this client that they want 30 days. So you put that variation on the on the booking form. They sign that and in that booking form, it says um, this contract will be governed by this booking form and our terms and conditions, which can be found here by signing that you're accepting both. And they sign that and that's, you know, that's that. They're, they're signed up to those terms and conditions. Happy days. Exactly. Fabulous. Well, I, I've, I've, I've learned something now. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> I feel more confident about my terms and conditions. Um, so just taking a step back, because you mentioned something earlier, I don't want to step over it and not reference, because actually you made a very good point about um, non-payment, because they're literally just not wanting to pay. They, they're ghosting you or whatever. And I would say, let's push that over to the side, because that, it's credit control and whatnot but what i'm definitely interested in is dispute so i guess what you've mentioned about this common thing that comes up which is either you haven't delivered what you said you had or you haven't delivered i think this is probably more of a sticky area you haven't delivered it to the level that i expect and you mentioned uh, in contracts having something in there to say in the in the in the instance that you feel we haven't delivered and then that starts to get into just decent customer service in my opinion but it, i haven't you haven't delivered to the quality which again i guess if you have a, 
like a really clear everything i think the main thing really here is just get everything written down as clearly as possible but if you have like a really clear specification or service level agreement or something like that then that's always very handy but you may not have that so i guess one of the biggest things is people coming back to you and saying oh what what yeah what is what is it that that comes out of this dispute around someone's not paying because and it's not about they're just not paying but there's a problem what were those what were common problems that you see coming out of those disputes sure so yeah i mean there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of situations actually where a client of ours will say that yeah customers complaining um something hasn't been done correctly under the contract but in order to do that correctly we needed xyz from from that customer we needed some input from that customer or some instructions or some confirmation right. and that's yeah. that's a really common thing and then and then it's like well okay so technically speaking yeah you, you probably haven't delivered what you needed to deliver but it wasn't your fault uh now if you don't have a contract in place then you've got to go in front of a judge you've got to argue and you've got to sometimes you have to get experts involved because judges aren't experts in every different industry they're legal experts so if it's you know i don't know a, a kind of double glazing company you may need to get an expert in glazing and joinery or whatever it would be to then determine who's right and who's wrong and all that kind of thing um but that's a really common thing and that's actually really easily dealt with within a contract we, certainly in our contracts we have something called a client default section which basically says we won't be held liable if our delay or our failure is due to you due to you the customer so that's it's mm. that's something that comes out a lot and it's kind of easily dealt with you also have the situation where people's standards are just different you know i i'm mm. paying for you know a fiat but i'm expecting a ferrari kind of situation uh we that that happens a lot um and yeah. again exactly as you said you know you just hit the nail on the head having a really clear scope clear specification clear deliverables set out in a contract just avoids that because if you don't you have to go in front of a judge you may have to get an expert involved and it just becomes really costly so that's the, you know those are the mm. problems that arise and that's the thing that you know i always say to clients look, again i completely get why sometimes you may not have tdcs but the the kind of relative pain now um to to avoid that in the future is actually probably worth it because you just you know without these protections in place and without these provisions you end up just exposing yourself you know completely yeah you're talking about judges and taking things to court now that sounds expensive and that would probably be am i right in saying that's going to be probably not as common as you know people taking people to court i guess it's got to have gone quite gone quite badly for you and it's going to be expensive to take you to that point would that be a fair statement yeah i mean most disputes don't end up in court um because the nature of them a sometimes there's not enough money in it to be perfectly honest to make it worthwhile um and also you know often uh often they settle i mean you know at, at acumen for example i think we've got like a 90 3% success rate at settling disputes that we deal with. So, you know, nice. a, a, a good kind of piece of advice is always to focus on, firstly, to focus on prevention, which is putting the contract in place. But if that hasn't happened, then focus on settlement rather than going to court, because going to court is expensive yeah. it's, and it's risky. You know, you might have the strongest yeah. case, but you've, there's always a litigation risk that something's going to go wrong. Um, so, yeah, most of the time, if it gets to court, because you've gone through all the different stages, you know, witness statements, you've had sort of interim hearings, you've, you've had attempts at trying to settle it, but it hasn't paid off. Uh, but the mm. biggest advice, I, I, I say this to all of my clients, uh, if you are ever in dispute, I, I'm a massive advocate of what we call mediation, sitting around a table and trying to thrash out a deal with a really skilled mediator and, and your legal teams. I'm a really big advocate of it. it you'd be surprised how just, kind of looking in, in each other's eyes and discussing it can actually break the ice and, and reach a deal. So that's always the biggest piece of advice. Try and settle things. You know, there's, it, it yeah. just makes all the sense in the world commercially, you know, stress wise. It's just the best, the best way to deal with a dispute. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, isn't it? You may have things written down, but we're humans and we 
uh we have uh we we want to be right we want to win uh not all the time but you know and um and when we get into a dispute or an argument with someone then it starts to become um you get upset and you know you want what's yours and that's why there's so many wars in the world because people just fight over who's right and what i want and uh, i don't want you to have what i want and all that sort of stuff but i think the one thing which i say to my clients and i talk about is it's all very well having a contract in place but if you don't have the legal means and i guess you don't have the money to take someone to court because it is going to cost money then there's no there's no point in well there is a point in having a contract of course i'm not saying that but what i mean is sometimes it's a bit worthless if you can't enforce it and i'll give you an example my example i work with acumen to put my trademarks in place and because we didn't trademark our name uh in the early days and we'll come back i'm sure and talk about trademarks another time because it's a very specific thing but i didn't put, have a trademark in place and we got a just we got um someone come along and say you need to stop using your name because they trademarked the word indulgence because it was indulgence cupcake company our name was originally and um i can't remember who i worked with in acumen my memory this was like 15 years ago I don't know. 12 years ago um they said i don't know how they managed to get trade tra- the trademark for indulgence is such a generic word and um and it was that that trademark was given in like the 80s so when things weren't as um as advanced yeah. as they are nowadays and they said it's going to cost you about thir- at least 30 grand to fight this so do you really well we didn't have that amount of money at the time so we just changed our company name um and actually it worked out in the better and we trademarked it of course i mean so not having the resources to be able to do anything about it but having a contract in place i guess it makes it a lot easier and cleaner to be able to say well you're saying x but you've signed something to say and it's all really really clear and then it makes it a lot smoother and easier to be able to kind of resolve that quite quickly because it's all written down and been signed is that right? yeah a hundred percent i mean it's um you the thing I, I always say to clients is you it's better to have rights that you can then decide whether or not to exercise so you have a contract it's all written down you've got all these rights you can choose whether you're going to enforce them and go to court or, or whatever um but if you don't have them then you don't you won't be able to have that choice so it gives you choice so it is definitely still worthwhile having the contract it's all in black and white if something goes wrong you exactly as you said you can point to the the customer or whoever and say well look this is what the contract says now sometimes people are still going to be stubborn that's the reality is you can't always kind of <laughs> convince people even with all the all the logic in the world but you've at least you've got you've got the fighting chance of doing so and avoiding the dispute and then you can choose what you want to do. And again, this is something I always say to clients as well. Communication is is the most important thing here. You know, you have a contract, someone breaches it. Communication will go a long way to avoiding you having to go legal or anything like that. You know, you're just saying, well, look, the contract says this and you've done that. We should resolve this, and, you know, but you, mm. you just, it's the contract is the kind of underpinning of that communication. It's the, it's the, the foundation for you to have that discussion and then if it doesn't go the right way to then decide whether you want to go to court, whether it's worthwhile going to court, you know, and, and all that kind of thing. And you're hundred, but you're hundred percent correct. You know, commercially, it's not always going to be worthwhile. Sometimes it's, you know, people don't have the funds, even if they've got a really good case, unfortunately, sometimes they don't have mm. the funds to, uh, to proceed, which is something that we've always felt quite strongly about, which is why we offer, we offer a kind of discounted fee arrangement, which where we kind of take some of the risk of, of the cost for that. Because sometimes you just, mm. you know, you have a good case, but you need some assistance in being able to pursue it. So, but yeah, it all comes back to the contract, in my opinion. It all comes down to having that that kind of foundation. And then you've got your options. Do we do we try and resolve it amicably? Do we do we go in hard and go to court? Or do we just waive those rights? You know, it may be that it's, it's a situation I see all the time. It's a really good customer and they account for a massive part of our revenue. They've breached the contract, but we need to maintain the relationship. Okay, well, tell them that they've breached the contract but on this occasion we're going to uh we're going to let it slide you know it just gives you those options Mm. really of what to do okay yeah okay yeah that's brilliant that's very clear so i guess my next question um is uh and i'm i'm being mindful of how i ask this because it's a bit of i guess it's like what's 
what what's your view your professional view on people going online and boilerplate contracts stealing other people's which i've heard people do uh taking their their their, their customers their suppliers or their customers contracts and basically just rehashing it and and sending it back out i think i know the answer to that question but i'd love to hear really? your thoughts around <laughs> that because that's what i mean do you know what i mean the reality is let's let's be honest you know it happens mm-hmm. I, I i have done it in the past and i know other people do and it's not a judgment at all but what is your view on doing that yeah. what's the risk what's the problems yeah of course i mean yeah you're 100 percent correct it happens you'd be foolish for us to, to pretend otherwise i mean i suppose there's one part of me that thinks look it's better that you have something and if for whatever reason you can't have a properly drafted set of terms and conditions sometimes it will be better to do that it's not the right thing to do it could you know it could actually be uh quite detrimental but at least you've got something the problem with it is that something may not give you that level of protection you need and it won't be bespoke to your business so the issues with that first of all it can look quite amateur i've seen situations where we've where i've had to review contracts and it's like this just doesn't mentions a different business or a different industry so it can it can <laughs> you know it can you'd be surprised but it can it can look quite amateur. yeah no um the other thing is Unfortunately, sometimes people can know enough to be dangerous. And an example of this, a really good example is um, someone who, a uh, client of the firm, who basically uh, rehashed and reused a set of terms and conditions. And they were telling uh, they were telling me about it and actually were, were, were saying, well, what I did was I've, I've re- reused these T's and C's, and, but in the, in the limitation clause, it said, we are not, it, we will not exclude liability for personal injury, death, or, or fraud. So I deleted that because the not shouldn't be there. And the yeah. problem is, on you know, from a kind of layperson point of view, that makes sense. Well, of course, what, we want to exclude all liability. The problem is, you can't legally exclude liability for those things, and that's why in a in an in an exclusion clause, limitation of liability clause, you have that line in there that this is not trying to exclude liability for things that you can't exclude liability for. And the reason that's really important is if your limitation clause is unenforceable, is illegal or invalid, it can be struck out. If, if ever a dispute arises, it could just be invalid. Uh, inv- in, but, you know, the judge could just say, well, we're not going to count that. So actually, by, by doing what they thought was making the clause more protective, they completely undid the point of the clause and they couldn't rely on. And luckily, it was never a problem. It was never tested. But had that come, come up to scrutiny in court, they may have found that they didn't have any protection in terms of limiting their liability so that's a you can see that's a massive problem with kind of taking a set of terms off offline or doing it yourself it 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 causes those issues um so yeah i think you know the advice would always be as far as possible to not do that and and as i say you know i've said it a few times now we we get why that doesn't happen it's actually um a uh uh, a reason one, one of my colleagues uh, or a couple of my colleagues who are trainees felt really strongly about this because they felt well yeah these startups they need protection they need to have their contracts in place and they came to us and said we want to we want to create a startup package we call it the acumen uh, greenhouse uh, initiative and basically we sponsor the cost of a number of key contracts for startups just like three packages and it's fixed fee for a kind of starter pack and they're still bespoke they're all perfectly and completely tailored to your business but acumen sponsors the cost to make sure that startups can have that protection when maybe they can otherwise afford it nice. and it's something that we do feel quite passionately about and that's these these two uh, trainees as you know acumen is kind of democratically run and you know we don't have any everyone's voice is heard and they said we want to do this and we ran with it and it's yeah. been really good oh amazing yeah. so how just just um uh how how does that work so is it available to any any startup what's what's the so there's there's, um, there's criteria so uh I, off the top of my head i believe it's uh up to three years certain number of employees and, and certain um level of turnover and if you qualify for that criteria basically there are three different packages they all contain terms and conditions of business customer facing because that's obviously a very crucial one and then as you go up the package, they contain additional types of protection. And the idea is, as I yeah. say, Acumen sponsors the cost. So you've got the suite of documents that will at least give you the basis of protection as a startup. Um, and then there's Amazing. like an add-ons and there's kind of discounts and all that kind of thing. 
if you want additional work. But it's um, it's been really popular actually because of for this you know this topic is the reason for that. Fabulous. So I'll put I'll I'll put a link to that. I have a resource page, so we'll we'll put a link to that so people can go and check that out. That sounds um that sounds fantastic. Going back to what we said about the the contracts and the clauses, it's like if you um I liken it to if you tell a lie or tell a lie if you don't tell the truth on your car insurance they can invalidate your whole policies i guess it's a similar sort of thing um but we know the reality is that there's sometimes this happens mm. and i i actually have a client of mine that um recently was u- using a boilerplate contract mm-hmm. and um they uh the the um the potential customer realized this and thankfully it was it was fine but i said to them it makes you look unprofessional and they want to grow and scale their business and it it doesn't cost as much as you 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 think and particularly if you work with someone like yourselves at acumen it's very clear this is how much it's going to cost and it just provides so much it helps you sleep at night Mm. because you know that you've got protection in place it's all very clear if someone kicks off, it's like, well, here's my terms and conditions. You've signed them. You don't have to be a dick about it, but you can say to them, this is what we've agreed and, and have a conversation. But I think, as you say, you know, it's all about dialogue, communication and sitting down with people and looking at, you know, working this out between two business owners, two adults um, and getting that sorted. So Alvin, I'm going to wrap it up there. I've, thoroughly enjoyed talking to you i've i've been reminded and also learned a lot in this conversation so so thank you so much i will um put links to whatever social media profiles and we'll put obviously a link through to acumen so if you want to go and check them out have a conversation because i know you offer a free do you still offer a free legal we do yeah free legal liberty to to discuss your business give you a snapshot dashboard view of what where you need protection Brilliant. So that's free to anyone. So you can go and check that. We'll put a link in on uh, the resource page. But just for me to say thank you very much, Alvin. I'm sure in in some time in the future I'll have you back to talk about more stuff. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, But yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, Keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.